half-brother. And do you ever think he heard this? James, why can't you be like your brother Jesus? I mean, I, I, just, I, I, just, I know I'm reading kind of into the text, but I just think it happened. Don't raise your hand. Has that ever happened in your home, though? You're like, yeah, that happened when I was little. That happens now. Like, you know, I wish I was like my sister. I wish I was like my brother. Well, can you imagine having the perfect one of heaven is your brother? It'd be pretty cool. What's amazing, though, is when you read James, James did not become a believer in the life of Jesus. He had to wait to, after the resurrection until he actually saw Jesus for who he was as the risen one. He came back and he appeared to James. and thinking, hey, you, you really are God. But it's interesting when you look here in the text, just look there with me. He immediately he goes, I am James. I'm a servant of God. In the Greek, he goes, I am doulos. I'm a bond servant. I mean, you know, like, yeah. I, I think if I opened up, I'd go, hey, I'm James. I'm the brother of the Messiah. Or he could have said, because he came on to be this incredible bishop pastor of the church of jerusalem the first church of jerusalem whatever he could have said hey i'm the bishop of jerusalem my brother's jesus hey y'all give me credence like bow before me like when we see famous people what do we do we a lot of times we give them honor we give them recognition because that's a big deal and but james what i see about his life is he goes i'm a servant i'm privileged to serve god i'm privileged to serve jesus the risen one uh, you know, as I talk about, as he launches into this text, it's kind of like, I don't know if you ever got into Joe Frazier and Ali or Mike Tyson or some great fighter over the day, and they had that great ability to punch left, right, left, right, or whatever. And, and, and that's kind of what James does for me. I pick up the New Testament, I turn over to this epistle, I turn over to James, and all of a sudden, boom! He just starts hitting me with stuff. And for five chapters, he hits you. And it's like, James can pretty much clear out a church, <laughs> but he's really saying, you know what? This is what it is to be a Christian, to live for Christ. This is what it's not. These are the things that war within your soul. I want to try to help you. But uh, uh, I also know this from reading James over and over. He refers to the Old Testament 22 different times. He refers to the greatest sermon ever preached, which is the Sermon on the Mount, 16 times. In other words, the book of James bleeds Bible. It is full of the authoritative Word of God. It's just powerful. Uh, it's like, okay, these other books you read sometimes, it's like you get a lot of lecture. But guys, I'm going to take you to the lab. We're going to apply this stuff to our life. So over the next few months together, we're going to be looking at application of God's Word as we dig and as we mine and as we look at it and as we ask God to reveal His Word to us. And I'd say if you've been a Christ follower for any amount of time, you've read James. If you've been a Christian for as long as I have, you've read it so many times, you're like, man, I know James. What, you teach me something new. Okay? Uh, how's your mouth doing for you? You ever have any trouble with your mouth? Raise your hand if you ever get in trouble because of your mouth. The rest of your line. How many of you get in trouble for lying? Raise your hand on that. I mean, it just gets, I know there's somebody here today going, Pastor, I'm sanctified. I never say anything bad to anybody. Well, bless you. Because I, sometimes I don't always do that. Here's what I'd say. Uh, it's a bug. Got him. All right. All right. I'm sorry. I've never done that in 23 years here, but he was flying across here, and we got him. Okay. Boop. Gone. All right. Um, James. I'm talking about James. James is practical Christianity, street-level Christian teaching. 
He just gets down there where we're at. That's, that's why I love to read Psalms or the Proverbs because they're so practical and they're full of God's wisdom for my life. But then you read a book like James in the New Testament and, and some of the great reformers and the great folks of the faith, they go, oh, this is a straw gospel. I don't even know if it should have been canonized. I don't even know if it should have been in there. Like, well, I don't I think so because we need it. And it's God's word for us this morning. Let me tell you, I want you to fill in the first blank here. Saying, is he ever going to get there? James is known as camel knees. As I studied about James over the years and again this week, James had some nasty, gnarly calluses on his knees. You know why? Because he spent eight hours a day in prayer, say some of the church historians. You're going, that's a lot of prayer. Do you remember who I told you Jesus had a big, uh, or James had a big brother? What was his name? Jesus. <laughs> Do you think Jesus prayed a lot? Yeah. And I think James saw that. And it, as he became this great leader in the church, he became a man of incredible prayer. Matter of fact, one thing I read, it was interesting. I'd never seen this till this week. Said that, you know, when James was actually, you know, killed, martyred, kicked off the temple for his faith or whatever, when he died, that when they went to bury him, his legs were kind of contorted. They were so calloused, his legs wouldn't really kind of bend. They had a hard time kind of straightening him out to bury him. How many of you like to be known as camel knees because people said, that's a woman, that's a man of passionate prayer? You know, I'm, I'm kind of a wimp. I, I've, I've got a, a war room back here. It's a prayer room behind my office and in, in my study at home. And in both those places, you know what I've done? Because I'm a little bit older than some of you, and some of you are older than me. <laughs> that makes me feel good. Okay, you know, what I, you know what I got? I figured this out years ago, and especially in this room you need it. I got a pillow. And I got a pillow that I sit on because I, I don't want these horrible calluses on my knees. But I wouldn't mind being known as a man of camel knees. So here it is. So James is this guy. I want to give you, give you a verse here because we're going to find ourselves in harm's way. In Job chapter 5, verse 7, it says, A man is born for trouble as surely as the sparks fly upward. We're all in harm's way. We, could we all agree this morning that we live in a fallen world? Anybody agree with me on that? That sin has stained every part of the universe. That sin has infected our very lives. That people, that our bodies wear out. How many of you turn to the person next to you and say, my body's wearing out? Turn to the person next to you and say, my body's wearing out. Some of you felt good saying that. And some of you are like, my body ain't wearing out. My body's young and buff. Well, you just wait. It'll, it'll join the rest of us, okay? Uh, people kill each other. We say that all the time across the nation, across our city. It's horrible. Marriages break up. Children, teenagers, adults, they get hooked on drugs. They get hooked on alcohol, sex, whatever. Babies are born with defects, many that cannot be fixed. And on and on, all these things just happen. And our friends, our friends, sometimes they turn into our enemies. Has that ever happened? Don't answer. Okay. But here's what I'd say. Hard times come on us. And, and James is going to talk to us this morning about trials. There's going to be trials in your life. And when those trials come, are you going to stand? Are you going to fall? Are you going to be a student? Are you going to be a victim? Are you going to say, oh, I'm a victim, I'm a victim. Why did this have to happen to me, God? Why me? Why not her? Don't answer if you've ever done that. Why? People ask me all the time, why do bad things happen to good people? They just do. Some things are a mystery. Things are not, some things are not quite revealed to us completely yet. It's okay. Let's don't be a victim. Let's be a student. 
a student, write this down. This is worth the entire price of admission today. I forgot, we didn't charge it. Okay. A, a student asks this question every time. What can I learn from this trial? What can I learn from this experience that I'm going through? In our church, people die prematurely, young and old. People take their lives. People get killed in automobile accidents. People get diagnoses that are not good. People get cancer. People lose their jobs. Marriages break up. Why, why, why? People ask me all the time, why? I did a whole series years ago. It's on the web somewhere on Habakkuk. And I learned I cannot ask why, but God, what? What are you doing, sovereign God, in the midst of this situation? It gives me comfort because, God, I want to be a student of your word. I want to realize that I'm living in a difficult time. Do y'all believe we're living in difficult times in the Western world today? And I believe it could get tougher. James writes to Jewish believers, to people there in, the, in that world, and they were scattered all through Rome. They were, they were scattered through the whole area. And yet the gospel was propagated. The, the gospel went forward. This, this letter, I read James, and it's written for the 21st century. It's written for us today. And Coach, we could call him Coach James. In these weeks, Coach James, Bishop James, this leader of the church, James, will speak to us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He'll speak to our hearts about things that we need to hear, that we need to realize that, God, this is a glimpse of real Christianity in its earliest form. And what it means to really be a follower of Jesus and how they, how they live and, and straight talk. And, and there's, there's 50 commands in the five chapters of James. And there's some that are written there in different modes, in the imperative mode. And, and what it is, it just, it, it's an exhortation about when hard times come, when trials come, how will you respond? I didn't say, if hard times, if difficulty, if trials come, how will I respond? Whenever, when trials come, how will you and I respond? How many of you agree that nobody gets to escape this life without a trial? You just don't. Some people seem to have more trials than others. I don't, don't ask me why. I don't understand. That's above my pay curve, okay? But trials are part of the kingdom. They're just the way that God's... It, it, I would write down a word today in your Bible if you happen to brought one in here or on your notes, and I'd write it at the top of your thing. Perspective. God's Word gives you and me perspective for living this life that God's entrusted to us. And James wants us to have perspective from God when we go through trials of various kinds. We, uh, let's look at it. Write it down, the first point. It's the command. This whole first section is about the command that God will give us. Matter of fact, I'll leave you remain seating, but I'm going to read to you the first four verses. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's God's Word, just in these little simple verses that I want to try to unpack for us this morning. Consider it pure joy. Huh? What was James thinking? Consider it joy. One translation says, count it all joy 
when you face trials that are variegated or of so many different kinds. And then, so how do I go through my problems? James would say, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice through your problems. Consider it pure joy. Con count it sheer joy. Sum it up. Do the math. It's a financial term. Count. Do a summation. In totality, get, get this thing to, to evaluate the trial you're going through. The trial is for the testing of your faith. We'll see in a moment. The trial is to shape you and me to the image of Christ, to conform us, to make us more like Christ. And without trials, we don't tend to shape very well. Here's a thought. To end with joy, I submit, let's begin with joy. Let's begin with the joy of the Lord. Lord, you are my joy. You are my steadfast, constant source of eternal joy. See, I've taught you this before, but it's, uh, I'll say it again. Happiness always depends on yours and my circumstances. But joy is dependent upon an eternal, sovereign God. And he never changes. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, tomorrow. Tomorrow would be good, too. Forever is just a little bit longer, okay? If anybody in this room does not go through a trial, you are dead. We just, we have to go through them. I, you're saying, man, you're acting like you're happy about it. No, I do not like trials. I don't like it when my friends go through trials. This week, a former member, you sang on our worship team here years ago. His son contracted E. coli, been married five weeks. Now, that's what I want to do, be married five weeks and almost die. He's in North Carolina in the hospital. It's really shaky this week. We've been praying, praying, praying. Just got a final text this morning. He's going home from the hospital tomorrow. Praise God. He's been in North Carolina as he's getting ready to go get his doctorate in physical therapy. He's been in North Carolina 22 days with his new bride. He has spent 11 of those days in a hospital bed in the hospital. I'm going, not what I wanted. Trial, toxins in his body. Trying to get, I don't even know where he got E. coli, just somewhere he ate. It's horrible. But that was a trial. And I will assure you, as Reed comes through this, this will be a shaping time in this young man's life to make him more dependent upon Jesus, along with his folks and other people. You're saying, well, I don't want a trial like that. Give me a little trial, God. And I just looked out there at Gloria a minute ago. She came in. We've had several folks in our body this past year fight cancer and overcome in Jesus' name. And then Courtney, the Lord, took her home triumphantly to be with Jesus. Gloria's in there still fighting in this summer heat and chemo and radiation she told me this morning i've had my last thing hallelujah amen isn't that awesome yeah she's had a trial how many of you saying i want to sign up and be on her list i want her trial you do not the only thing that woman's wanted is milkshakes everything else has not been very good lost a lot of her appetite a lot of her strength but you know what gloria did not lose she did not lose her joy Every time I go see her, I get a joy infusion. She's got other infusions. I get a joy infusion when I get to be around her. How many of you would love to be around other Christians that got a joy infusion when you got, you know, you're like, I got a pessimism infusion when I got around them. I got negative when I got around <laughs> I interpret that. I don't know what that meant. Okay. So here it is. When we go through trials, we look for an escape. God says, no, embrace it. Endure the trial. Trust me, 
trials are never going to be separate from the Savior. They're always going to be with Him. You know, you're, you're going down the road, you got your, remember I used to have a convertible, you're driving your convertible, you got your top down, you're having a great day, got your ball cap on because you don't want skin cancer. You know, you're doing your thing, you're having a great day, and all of a sudden, boom! Have a flat tire, you hit a pothole, things just kind of go different, don't they? So many things. I, I remember couple years ago i was in my little honda and i'm i'm doing a funeral i just finished a funeral for somebody i'd grown up with i was all in the spirit it'd been a big day i go over to the funeral home and i drive and i look at this area and i ended up going to get some new glasses after this particular day you'll know why in a minute and i kind of pulled in there and i was kind of in a hurry but i was kind of paying attention i was really paying attention and all of a sudden <laughs> and i looked out and body and body parts and car parts were flying off my car oh and I got out and went, oh, it's mine. And I have a car. It kind of has that low spoiler, and, and the parts kind of came off. Oh, and it was expensive getting it fixed. There was a curb that shouldn't have been that high. It should have been this high, and it was this high. And, I, and you talking about somebody paired more now. Every time I pull in somewhere, I part that way from, uh, from the front curb when I pull in. Because they're not made for low cars. You know what I'm saying? But that, that was just a little trial that I had to go through. It's just part of it. Trouble. You know what I've learned about trouble and trials? They're just a phone call away. A phone call can change your life, can't it? So-and-so just got a diagnosis. Somebody just got in trouble. My kid just went to prison. My kid is hooked on drugs. My, my, my wife just did this. My husband did that. My employer, something. I mean, you know, you just, all these multicolored, variegated situations. But here's what I know. Joy means joy. Joy in the person of Jesus. Jesus bathe me cover me fill me with your joy in the trials of life because life is full of trials and if, if you don't have a trial ask one of your friends can i borrow one of yours uh, you don't have to ask anybody can i have one as a pastor i get to walk through a lot of trials with people some of them are really difficult and deep some are they're all significant but some are just harder than others to get through. But God gives the grace and the joy no matter what. In the J.B. Phillips translation, it's written here in these three points for you today about the command. But I want you to look here. He says in verse 2, When all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my brothers, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. Wow, I underlined it. I'd circle it. I'd pay attention to it. God, help me to welcome that because that's a mere testing of my faith that I could prove to be faithful to the gospel of grace. Lord, I want to trust you. Here's what I learned a long time ago. I can never trust my feelings because my feelings will make me do crazy things and they'll come and go and they're just not healthy. And, and so when, when we say count it all joy, consider it all joy, it's a response that we have, but it's not natural for man or woman to find joy in hardship. It's just not natural. It is supernatural to find joy in the midst of a difficult trouble or trial or situation. We need a supernatural work, a supernatural manifestation, a supernatural expression of God in our life working through that trial that we might have joy based on Christ and Him alone. And the church said, so next time you're going, Pastor, I, I don't know, man, I'm going through a trial and there's naturally, it's horrible. 
I agree with you 3,000%. But in the Spirit, in Christ, supernaturally, God wants us to overcome and have a reaction, a response, a long view of the situation that God is working in this trial for mine and your good. And we know that in all things, God works for good. Romans 8, 28, just write it down. But here's what I'd say. Trials come in uncomfortable forms. You don't get to go, God, I want one of them little trials. I mean, I know. I, you go to lunch with you, go, I want, I, want, I want the supersize, man. I want, I want the biggest thing you got. You know, you go to these steakhouses and places, and they're like, can you eat this steak? If you can, you're going to die when you walk out of here. Or whatever, you know, you get the biggest one. But here, you're like, God, I, I want the smallest trial you've got from heaven. Send me a little trial, God. And God knows what we need. Because God wants to shape our character. He wants to make us like himself. So they're sent from the Lord. He, some, and we'll talk next weekend uh, uh, about the, in, the internal struggle of temptation. But here, the, this high view of God's sovereignty. That God, my troubles, my trials are never optional. They come through your filtered hands. I, I've said that for years and I still believe it. Every trial that has ever touched my life for years as a believer in Jesus Christ, has been filtered through the holy hands of God. Do you believe that, church? Do, do you believe that, church? I, I talk to people that have been really sick, people that have gone through really hard times, they go, oh, I would not wish that on anybody. It was difficult. However, may I testify? I go, please do. That was the most significant growth time in my spiritual walk, and I became like Jesus more and more through the hard time he was all i had he was all i could depend on he was my strength and he was my sovereign i leaned into him because he is in control i leaned into his word i listened to his voice for direction for my life but lord i trust you i wait on you to shape me to force me out of myself lord here here's what i'd say this morning we find in trials they're a new platform for witness. You and I have platforms. We like when celebrities and athletes have a platform. You see a sporting event and they testify to their faith. You like it when they give glory to Christ. That's their platform. You go, oh, what a platform. Trials give you and I platform. You don't know this, but Donna does because she's been married to me almost 40 years. I love tennis. There is a tennis star right now that is sensational. Her name is Coco. She's 15 years old. She just won her third round. I mean, I'm, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm, I, I just, I like tennis, okay? And it's just interesting to watch her. She has this new platform. Now, I'm real curious. They made a comment on the thing when I was watching. Her and her family are deeply spiritual. She has a prayer. I'm real careful when I hear spiritual in 2019. I only hope and pray that this little girl is going to say, and my faith is in the living Christ. I love Jesus. And if you know, send me a text. Let me know. I don't know. But I do know this. This little girl is going to get a platform. Matter of fact, she's got a platform right now in all of England. She's like this sensational superstar. You're saying, oh, I wish I could get a platform like that. Well, we live in this world, in this space. And whatever trial or situation you go through, God wants to use that as a platform. I'll assure you. People in this room that have been through hard things, that is your platform. 
You might say, well, man, my platform is my intellectual mind, my brilliance, my whatever. That's awesome. My platform is my athleticism. My platform is this. That's awesome. But your greatest platform might be the trial, the trouble, the difficulty that you're going through. You know, one of the trials that I had and I've shared, I hadn't shared in a long time, I didn't speak till I was five years old. And somebody said, help him, Jesus. He ain't shut up. I know. And when I would go to those speech pathologists, I bet today they'd go, uh-huh, I taught him how to speak and articulate those great truths. Uh-huh, you did. And you also hit my knuckles with rulers. Because I've told you before, I used to help Bob Staniland. He was a stutterer. He was my good friend. We rode our bicycles to Dalreda Elementary School together. He go, good morning, Keith. Good morning, Bob. My name is Bob. And I go, oh, help me, Jesus. And I finished all Bob's sentences. We went to speech classes together every day after school because we needed help. Now, I didn't stutter. I just had to learn how to speak because I had to have my tongue clipped. They didn't know what they knew today. But it was a hard time. So that, that ended up being a platform for me. Hey, the boy can speak. He can speak. You're like, oh, man, thank you, Jesus. I don't know why I tell that story. Somebody here might need that. I don't know. And fortunately, our troubles are never optional. God gives us platforms for one reason, to tell others about Jesus. I don't know what your platform is. Everybody in this room has a different platform. And you might get a new platform this decade or next decade, and we just want to say, Lord, what is it? I want to trust you. Lord, I want to listen to you. What do I know about problems? In verse 2, it says, whenever, you say, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials. Here's what I know. Problem, problems are inevitable, and they come to every one of us. Problems are unpredictable. We don't know when they're coming. Problems are unexpectedly. They just come, and sometimes they come in threes. I don't know why. Problems are so diverse in nature. Problems are multicolored. Problems, problems, problems. They're everywhere. Trials, they're there for shaping you and I to the character of Jesus. Without them, I don't tend to grow like I should because they help me to depend on Him. In verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. The testing of your faith develops endurance. To endure in the riches of God's Word. To learn in the school of hard knocks. My attitude is always affected by my knowledge. And my prayer is that you and I will grow in our knowledge of the Holy One of Israel. The Holy One of God. In the diamond world is that coal has enough heat and pressure exerted to it, it becomes a beautiful diamond. With the metals that get, you know, heated up and all the dross and all the stuff rises to the top and they skim it off for a pure metal. God wants you and I pure. There's things that God wants to skim off my life, off your life. And that's why trials come, because they reduce us. They, trials I would write this down. It's not a fill in the blank. Trials will increase your patience. Am I telling the truth? Wait a minute. Trials will increase your patience. Am I telling the truth? Yeah. Are you patient people? Why does somebody go, am I patient? No, you're not patient. We're all impatient at some level. Some of you have pretty high degrees of patience. I'll give you that. 
but they increase those. Uh, but the long-range goal for God has always been for me, for you, to grow up. See, you can get older chronologically in age and never grow up. But God wants us all to grow up and mature spiritually. And whether we be six or 60 or 96, he wants us to always be growing and becoming more like Christ. God, you're good. You're faithful. Lord, this testing purifies me. This testing, this trial, it deepens my character. It strengthens. It fortifies. Lord, when I go through a trial, I have a chance to have more Christ-like character. And Job, I'll refer to that. I think I've referred to the fifth chapter. Now let me give you another verse. Job chapter 23, verse 10. He knows the way I take, and when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. That's the goal, G-O-A-L, of our faith, is to become more like him. Lord, if I don't get tested, I don't know who I'll be. You know how they, they test you in the martial arts? You know how they, de- they test you in school for examinations to see if you really know a subject or not? Or we get tested in this life of how we really know God and how God is sovereign and how God is working in our hearts. God, you test us. I don't know anybody likes tests. I mean, everyone's why you say, well, I like tests, brother. Well, I got to just tell you, that's just weird, okay? I, I, raise your hand. How many of you enjoyed taking tests in school? Wasn't, wasn't that just fun? Yeah, no, why did nobody raise their hand? How many people love staying up, cramming, and studying? Why is nobody raising their hand? It's not very fun, is it? And tests are not something we welcome. But that little translation from the J.B. Phillips, welcome trials as intruders, as friends, because they make us like Christ. Lord, help me to trust you in this process. We... I would say it this way, we all need battle-tested faith, and God is going to test our faith through trials. The third, so there's the command, there's the reason here, the testing of our faith, he tests us, the reason is because it gives us perseverance, it gives us steadfastness, it gives us endurance, so it's the command, it's the reason, let's move to the third one, the promise. The promise, perseverance in verse 4, must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. Circle those two words. To be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Remaining under the heat. When you and I remain under the heat, we receive grace for the journey. And in the process of receiving sovereign help, refuge, and strength, we find mercy for our time of need. We find grace We find shaping, we find influence, we find impact for Christ. So perseverance, endurance, always requires dependence on something. You know, I I ran cross country as a junior hire, and I would run like six miles a day just to go out and just train all the time. And, and, and after a while, you know, you, you, you persevere and you do it and you do it. And, and your body, just, it's, just, it's just natural. It's like it's no big deal. You just, you, you've developed or you're in the weight room and you begin to lift weights. And you don't stay at the same weight. You pick up heavier weight and, and you destroy the muscle that you might build it up. And you're always trying to grow and you're trying to get bigger and that kind of thing. Well, here it is. God's saying, hey, I want to develop you. I, I, w- I want to cut you up. You know how a, a bodybuilder wants to cut up, wants to get definition? Well, God says, I want to spiritually shape you. I want to shape you not to be some Adonis, not to be some freak. Oh, excuse, did I say that out loud? 
I want to shape you into the image of my son. I want to make you look like him. So when the world sees you, they see a beautiful Christ. And I got to tell you, I fall so short every day. But I need the grace of God for the journey. How about you, church? But God gives us perseverance. God gives us endurance. I'll call it this, gritty stubbornness, dog determination to dig in, to hang in there, to not cut out and run, to not squirm out of the problem. I don't know about you, I'm always looking for an escape. How can I get out of this? <laughs> and God's like, no, you're going to go through this. Like, I'm going to have skin cancer for the, uh, I, I, I'm not going to have it, I do have it. I'm going to have surgery for the second time this August. And I have done what my doctors told me. I, I wear rash guards most of the time. I wear hats. I wear sunscreen. I do all this stuff. And I get in there and go, I want to cut you. I want to, I'm like, no, no. Yes. You're going to have surgery. Now, praise God, it's, it's, it's the best form of cancer, squamous cell, whatever. And, but still, how many of you want to go, 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 to, go to the doctor with me in August to the surgeon and hold my hand? I mean, you know, and then I come to church. I, I forget what day it's on. I hope it's earlier in the week because I don't want to come on Sunday. Everybody goes, Pastor, what's wrong with your head? <laughs> I know, I'm already looking at it. it. It's tough, you know. Huh? Oh, thank you. Okay, whatever day that is. Is it a Wednesday? Yeah, maybe I'll, you'll be able to look at me come Sunday. Okay, so here it is. But, you know, I, I want to get out of that. But I don't want somebody else to have to go through it. It's like, it's my turn, my turn. And, and, and you that have had really serious cancer and illnesses, that, that's no big deal. It's, man, it's, just, it's just, just surgery. Put your big boy pants on and go for it. You know, it's okay. It is okay because God's good. I, I, I read the story. I got to do this quickly. I was reading about Elizabeth Elliot. You know, her husband, Jim, he was with the, the, the five missionaries that went to the people of Ecuador to share the gospel, and they were speared to death. And then she married a second husband. His name was Addison Leach, and he was a former president of the Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. He contacted cancer not long after the marriage had started, and he died slowly and painfully. And you're thinking, this woman is a godly woman. This woman had two husbands, and both of them died. And I can't tell you about her third husband because I don't know if she ever married again. But you know what? God is in charge of the pain. God is behind. God God is sovereign over every situation. How many of you believe our God is sovereign over everything in our life, every situation? He is in complete control. So submit to him. Lord, I want to apprehend you. I want to run after you. I want to trust you. I don't know why things happen, but I know what can happen because of things happening to me. Lord, shape my heart. Move, move down here quickly because we've got the body life. We must cooperate with God through the maturing process. You can fight God. I've tried it. <laughs> I've never won. Or I can choose to coordinate and cooperate and let him do his beautiful, perfect work, and it works out better. Look at the four essentials for victory and trials. Just put them in there quickly. I've run out of time. I've been too verbose. Sorry. Four essentials for victories and trials. Number one, a joyful attitude. God, give me the attitude of Jesus. Give me a joy in my attitude as I respond to trials. Number two, or B, an understanding mind. Lord, give me understanding in my mind. You, Lord, you do not intend to destroy me. You are for me. Lord, give me a mind that understands. C, Lord, give me a surrendered will. 
Lord, a surrendered will. Lord, that you, nothing comes to me that hasn't been signed off by you. So, Lord, I surrender as an act of my will. I surrender my will to you, Father, because I believe that you are a good, good Father. That's just not a song that we sing. I really believe you're good. And I believe you're holy. And I believe your ways are perfect. And I believe that you will be with me. So I surrender my will to you. And D, I want to have a heart that wants to believe. Help my unbelief, God. Help me to believe you. This morning, as I wrap that up, I'm going to invite somebody to come to the piano or whatever. We're going to get ready to break into Body Life 2.0. And uh, we're going to uh, we're going to do our, uh, and, and several visitors, they're like, man, what is Body Life 2.0? It's something that we've added last weekend, and we think it's kind of the modern-day altar call as we were talking to CHAP over the last couple of months. And we break into small groups. We have trained discussion leaders. They're all over the room. And maybe somebody different will lead this week. There's like 14, 15 of you already trained, five more being trained. And we'll break into groups of about eight, eight to nine people. Can you do that? If you've got a group over eight, the nine people, please go get another group. I mean, we've got enough facilitators. And we're just going to invite you to circle up in chairs in just a moment. And this ties the message. I've, I've got some questions. Matter of fact, would you throw the questions up there? Those are some of the questions they might ask. They might ask all of them. might, might ask one. But our goal is to connect you. Close your eyes and let's have a prayer and we'll start. Lord, we are grateful for this morning for this experience called grace, called being with your church. And Lord, we pray that you would give us the strength and the desire and the heart and the right attitude to go through whatever trials and to endure them through the strength of Jesus. Lord, we need you. We call upon you. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.